0: Morning. It's good to see you all. Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and we're looking at a text that uh, I've entitled The Message, Rejoicing in Suffering. Rejoicing in Suffering. Nobody likes to suffer, but Paul here says, Rejoice. Rejoice. That's what we do. We rejoice in suffering. Last week we were looking at verses 1 through 2 in chapter 5, looking at where Paul says that we have peace with God because we have been justified by faith. And We looked and we saw some things there. First of all, we saw that that we have peace with God, and this is not a Subjective peace, but an objective peace. Paul is dealing with what God has done to bring hostilities to an end and to establish peace. The hostilities between us. We were enemies of God. And so it's it's an objective peace. So... What's happening there is a change in relationship rather than in feelings. Rather than us feeling peaceful, peace is something that we have that has come from God. Another thing that we discovered and looked at is that we had obtained access by faith Into this grace in which we stand. I'm not going to re-preach that. But basically what the uh, big word there is access. We have been introduced to the Father by the Son. That's the bond. That's the relationship that we have. We have this access into the presence of the Father. And we need to know that that is irrevocable. We need to understand that uh, we have obtained this. This is something that has been given to us. And it leads us to a place where we, as believers in Christ, want to see His glory, want to know His glory. And therefore, He says we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I review all that because all of that is necessary for understanding what he's about to say, which is a shocking thing to a lot of people in this world. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. Who does that? We see sufferings as a necessary part of life, but who rejoices in them? Who rejoices that sufferings come? Paul says, we do. Notice that? We rejoice in our sufferings. I want us to consider rejoicing and suffering today. And let me give you three things I'm going to look at. First of all, we rejoice in our sufferings. I'm going to break that apart a little bit. Secondly, we rejoice because of what we know. We rejoice because of what we know. And then thirdly, we rejoice because grace leads us on. We rejoice because grace leads us on. First of all, we see not only that, not only do we rejoice or exult or boast in the hope of the glory of God, or in hope of the glory of God, uh, but we rejoice in our sufferings. First, let's take a look at that word rejoice. Uh, it's translated in different ways, in different versions. Uh, but one in the ESV, rejoice, exult is another one, boast, is another one those those words can be used interchangeably but those are three words that this is this Greek word is translated as and it means to express an unusually high degree of confidence in someone or something being exceptionally noteworthy <laughs> okay so this isn't about your inner rejoicing so much as it is in a hope that God who is noteworthy is a we can put an unusually high degree of confidence in him more than anything else more than anyone else and so this boasting this exulting this rejoicing is not per se about your inner feelings so much as it is confidence in the one Who has promised us eternity. Who has promised us forgiveness of sin. And so we rejoice. It's not blind rejoicing. It's rejoicing in this one, in this thing. He brings that to bear in suffering suffering what there's a uh, we can express an unusually high degree of confidence in suffering being exceptionally noteworthy I hope y'all saw how I brought that in that's usually what we see toward God but here we see this as suffering suffering is noteworthy we need to pay attention That suffering is something that we can have an unusually high degree of confidence that it's actually working for us. Okay? So he says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Paul says we rejoice in ourselves. What sufferings? What sufferings are in view here? Is it sufferings like Paul had when he was on the mission field and people wanted to kill him? Yeah, that's included. But it's also when he was shipwrecked. Understand something. When he was shipwrecked, do you think that the captain of the ship go, isn't that Paul? Yeah, that's Paul. Oh, let's crash this thing then. That's not what happened. Okay? Storms came up. Reeves got in the way. Nobody was after him. He was just living life. He was going from point A to point B. And somewhere in between, he suffered. He suffered hardship. Just in doing life. Uh, We see some of that in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. uh, We see where he's been given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass him, to keep him from becoming conceited and prideful. So three times he says he pleaded with the Lord to remove it, take this away from me. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for uh, my power is made perfect in weakness. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Next sentence For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This isn't about a preacher or a missionary being persecuted because they're sharing the gospel in a foreign land that forbids it. This is that you're sick. You're coughing. You're struggling. You're suffering. Sickness. It could be because of cancer. Uh, We suffer in many ways. It can be because of mental illness or emotional distress. This suffering is a loss of any kind or physical injury. This is all suffering. If you suffer, then you need to understand Paul is talking about that. And he's talking specifically about Christians' suffering. And things that you walk through in life. Everyday things. Like getting stuck behind a Kia Rio. In traffic. But it's talking about those who are Christ's. There are times... When it is God's will that you suffer. And there are times when it is not God's will that you suffer. I just want to go to a couple of passages that point to that. First of all, I want you to see 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. He says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, so if you're going to suffer, be doing what was good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. The way that the sentence is structured, if that should be God's will, is speaking of suffering. It's not speaking of suffer for doing what is good. is speaking of suffering in general. It's better to suffer for doing what is good if it's God's will for you to suffer rather than for doing evil. So sometimes it's not God's will that you suffer. But then there are times when it is God's will that you suffer. Look at Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14 in verse 5, Paul and Barnabas are at Iconium. And it says in verse 5, When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, uh, and uh, to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Hey, they want to stone us. Ah, let's get out of here. Okay. It wasn't God's will for them to suffer. It was God's will for them to preach the gospel in these other places. It's not always God's will that Christians suffer. Not every circumstance calls for that. I wanted to set that straight because a lot of people were kind of like, well, you know, God wills that we suffer. Yeah, but sometimes he wills that we run. We need to understand that. But we do need to understand that all of us suffer. And all of us will suffer. Suffering is normal in the Christian life. That's not abnormal. That's normal. So how does that suffering come out? Well, sometimes we suffer... Uh, As a result of killing sin, I mean, we've been justified by faith, through faith, and so what does He call us to do? He calls us to walk in that faith, He calls us to live, and He calls us and He tells us to put sin to death in your mortal bodies. Folks, that can be brutal, can't it? Isn't that hard? I mean, Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 is saying, put this off and put this on. Well, it's not quite that simple, is it? All right? Something that comes natural to you, something that's ingrained in you. Let me take this off. Well, wait a minute. It's going to hurt to take that off. I've had this for all my life. Yeah, but I'm giving you the power of the Spirit to take it off. Okay, but it's still hard. There's suffering involved in that. Anyone who says there's not probably hadn't done a whole lot of work in killing sin in their life. And then to put on righteousness. Paul in chapter 6 is going to be talking about putting sin to death. In other letters, that's what he's talking about. Kill it. Put it to death. John Owen wrote a whole thought about it called the mortification of sin. Not easy by a long shot. It's brutal. There's suffering involved in it. (laughs) Jesus understood that. He was more graphic about it than anybody. If your right hand causes you to sin, what would he say? cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, what does he say? Couch it out. Hyperbolic, absolutely. But he is speaking of the brutality of killing sin in our life. And it's hard work and it hurts and it's painful. We suffer. But isn't that good suffering? you're putting sin to death and you're taking on righteousness. We suffer being in Christ. That's Paul's preferred phrase to describe Christians, isn't it? We are in Christ. And as we live, we face varying degrees of of suffering that uh, we go through. Just as a way of life. Just as a way of living, we suffer. And all of us will suffer. 14.5, we see Paul and Barnabas fleeing from suffering. But in 14.22, it says that while they were in uh, Lystra and Iconium and, and, and Antioch, they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. It's the only way. There's no other way except through suffering. It's the narrow road. And that road is filled with obstacles and traps. So it's so important for us to understand that the road to the kingdom of God is narrow, and on it, suffering is normal. Rick, you're going to get to a happy part at some point. Yeah, it's at the end. It's important to understand that Christian suffering and non-Christian suffering, there is a difference in a sense. One is that Paul lets us know that we suffer. Everyone is Christians. But suffering as a believer is different and that there's a real sense that suffering is a proving ground for us. It's a proving ground of faith. Suffering is not merely a proving ground for Christians, but it stirs us up to long for home, doesn't it? Makes us want. I want to get home. Through loss, through pain, through sorrow, I want to get home. we're going to get to it, but in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Suffering makes us long for home. You ever had a car break down on the side of the road? What am I going to do? What do you want? I just want to get home. <laughs> I just want to get I don't, I don't care about the car. I want to get home. I, I want to be in my home. I, I remember as a child, we'd go to the circus, Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus. Anybody remember those? Do they even do those anymore? You know? I, I think the liability is too high. I don't think they can get insured. But I remember as a kid, you know, uh, we, we had a place, Hirsch Coliseum, okay? It's a terrible place in Shreveport, Louisiana. But that's where the circus always was and all the concerts too, you know? And if they got too in cl- the rodeos, and if they got too close together, you could tell they just had a rodeo. But you could tell they had a circus too. But I remember as a little kid sitting there, and they'd give us tickets at school, you know, to be able to go. And so that was so that we could go bug our parents so they would have to buy a ticket, and you know how it goes. So I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting. Man, we're we're just in anticipation, and we've gotten some things that you can do like this with, and they light up. We think we've got everything. And then here they come. The clowns run in and they're being goofy and people in front of me stand up. And now I've got this obstruction in front of me keeping me from seeing the show. And so I stand up in the chair and they're still too tall. And my dad's standing there and he's just laughing and he looks down and he sees that I can't see. But in that chair, man, I'm on tiptoes. I'm trying to see. I can't see. And suddenly I just feel this, boom, and he puts me on his shoulders and I can see it all. I look around, ain't nobody taller than me. I'm seeing stuff nobody else can see. Suffering makes us long for home. And home's going to be more glorious than clowns running around in three rings. Bet you never heard it described like that before. We just want to see. That's what suffering does. And Paul lays that out. He lays that out right now. Because... We rejoice because of what we know. Look what it says. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We consider them noteworthy. Knowing. That's the next word. Knowing. Not feeling. Knowing. I know something. As a Christian, I know something. I know that suffering does something. We rejoice because we know that suffering is not useless sorrow. It's not useless. God's going to do something with it. He's going to teach us. He's going to train us. He's going to strengthen us. He's going to purify us. God's going to do something with suffering. God's not this masochist that's looking down and go look at that, man. Oh, that looks hard. No. Suffering is not useless. And suffering is not punitive for believers. In other words, he's not punishing us. He's shaping us. He's disciplining us. Suffering does something. It says there, suffering produces. It puts forward something. There's an outcome. Suffering produces, it says, endurance. When hard, painful things transpire in our life, it could be dealing with relationships. It could be dealing with marriage. It could be dealing with, uh, with, with your job. It could be dealing with your health. It could be dealing with any of those things. Our faith looks to Christ and to His power and His goodness and His love and His patience. And we don't look at grumbling and complaining, but we look to Him, the author and perfecter of our faith. We don't grow bitter, but we seek the fellowship of the One who has introduced us to the Father. When we do that, our faith perseveres. Our faith endures it becomes stronger is your faith stronger than it was the first day you believed I I like to watch a show Gina won't watch it with me Forged in Fire anybody ever watch Forged in Fire? I love that show guys walking out there, gals too, they come out there and they're forging knives of some sort, you know. And they come out and they they have some kind of weird piece of metal that they've got to forge into some kind of knife, you know. And the first thing that they do is they take that thing and they throw it in the fire and that thing heats up and gets red. And they come out and they start banging on that thing. I mean, you know, it's just something else. I mean, you, they, they they lay that thing down on an anvil and it boom boom. Some of the guys. Now there's some there's some younger boys. I, I guess they're millennials. They like the hydraulic press, okay. But those old school guys, ah, now they got a an anvil laying there. Man, they lay that hot steel on, boom, Boy, sparks fly all over the place, and they are just driving that thing just as hard as they can, shaping that metal, drawing it out, making it long, turning it into something that is recognizable, something that looks like a knife. After they've heated that up, and they've got the shape that they like and it's close enough. They take that thing and stick it back in the forge and it just gets hot. And there's there's supposed to be a certain temperature. And the the smart ones, they know what that temperature is. They know what the glow is supposed to look like. And they take that thing and they dip it in oil and it's called a quench. And fire flies up. And they get that thing, pull that thing out. And they take a file and they run it across that thing. And if it skates across there... It's hard. You see, that metal came out harder than it was, stronger than it was. And now it can be forged into what? It can be shaped. It can be sharpened into what the Creator intended it to be. God doesn't waste anything. That thing's hard and ready and strong. Not only that you come out stronger, but you come out purer, too. There's another process called smelting. Jewelers deal with that. One of my very best friends is a jeweler, and he's told me all about the smelting process. I don't remember what the temperatures are, but gold has a particular place where there's a smelting that takes place. Not a melting point, but a smelting point. And you put that gold in there and you put it under fire, uh, over fire. And fire makes it hot. And do you know it just kind of liquefies there. And do you know what happens at a certain temperature? Dross rises to the top. And you take and you scrape that dross off. (laughs) All that stuff was in that gold. And that gold looked just fine to you until it got smelted. And now it's more purified. Why? Because it went under the stress of being purified. Suffering produces endurance, but it also produces proven character. And by the way, the key word here is proven it's that testing, it's what's on the other side of that fire. that skating process on that piece of metal that's been quenched. It's proven. That's the test. (laughs) Yeah, I can make a knife out of that. Or that purified gold. And the jeweler looks at all that dross that comes out and comes off and says, I can make a beautiful ring out of." It's proven character. The emphasis is there on proven. It's the idea of being genuine and authentic. It's the idea that you're not a fake. It's the testing out of something. It's been through the flames, and it came through genuine, authentic, real. You've been tested. And found true. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing something. That suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. Proven. Character. And character produces hope. Look what it says. Produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. So, shameless hope. It produces shameless hope. It produces hope that does not disappoint. Have you ever hoped and been disappointed? This doesn't. If you ever want to hope and not be disappointed, don't put your hope in anyone else. Or anything else except the living God. Because this hope doesn't disappoint. Fulfilling hope. Greater hope than anything else. Hope. Maybe you were like, I don't know, I was struggling. I wasn't sure if I was really saved. That kind of hope. Based on what we know. Based on what we believe. Because we believe what we know. We don't believe what we feel. We don't believe what we merely think about. We believe what has been found sure. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. So we rejoice in our sufferings because we rejoice in what we know. And we rejoice because grace leads us on. Look what it says. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Note that God's love has been poured into us not being poured as a result of you coming through the flames but before the flames before the suffering before the trials god had already poured hope he had already poured love into you right you didn't go through those trials to get saved In other words, I want you to notice something. And character produces hope. Character produces more hope. But character is not what makes us hope. Hope already existed. Look. Look what it says. Verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It's already there. We're not waiting for hope to be produced by some trial that we go through. We already have hope. Don't you already have some hope? I hope you have it before you walk through some trial, some sorrow, some sickness that leads to dying. I hope you have hope. Now, there's something in front of every trial for Christians hope. And out in front of hope is grace. And grace has come through faith. We have been justified by, what does he say in verse 1? Faith. We've been justified through faith. In other words, I want you to know, the proof and the testing here are not what give you the great assurance. It's faith that does that. Because the exercise of all these things, the endurance all the endurance, all the, uh, the, the 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 proven, the testing, all the hope, I want you to know those things are brought about by God and those things are things that we believe God for. We know something and we know it by faith and we know it by the one who has promised and we trust him even through the trial and I want you to know These are not works that are proving out salvation. These are acts of faith. No one is assured by the works they do. They are assured by the faith that they have. That's what he's saying. And he's saying God's love has been poured out before any trial stepped into your face. It was faith by which God justified you. And now the living out of that faith brings us out of every testing and every trial more sure, more certain, more hopeful, more strength, more everything that only God can supply. John Newton, slave ship captain, haunted by thousands of ghosts. What he meant by that were all the slaves that died at his hand. Wrote amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But it's the third verse, I think, that probably, I guess the older you get, the more that third verse means to you through many dangers, toils, and snares, suffering. I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me on. Not my strength to endure the trial, but God's grace to take me through it. My hope is in him because nobody's going through the trials that Paul is speaking of with faith except those who are in him, in Christ. Johnny Erickson Tata, y'all know, is one of my heroes of the faith. and I have this quote and I know I've probably used it before but and I, I didn't make a note I'll have to find it I think it's from her book on heaven because it's talking about the longing for home those of you who are not familiar with Johnny Erickson Tata at the age of 17 she dove into a shallow body of water and broke her neck and has spent her entire life Paralyzed from the neck down. Limited use in her arms. And lived in pain her whole life. She says this, Nothing more radically altered the way I looked at my suffering than leapfrogging to this end-of-time vantage point. When God sent a broken neck my way, he blew out the lamps in my life that lit up the here and now and made it so captivating. The dark despair of total and permanent paralysis that followed wasn't much fun, but it sure made heaven come alive. And one day when our bridegroom comes back, probably when I'm right in the middle of lying down on my sofa uh, for the umpteenth time, which is how she would get relief from pain. God is going to throw open heaven's shutters. There's not a doubt in my mind that I will be fantastically more excited and ready for it than if I were on my feet. In the meantime, suffering hurries my heart home. Suffering hurries my heart home. Suffering is a call to utilize that access, that introduction of Jesus Christ before the Father. And cry out, God, show me your glory. Israel, y'all go to Canaan. God says, I'm not going to go with you. And only Moses said, Lord, if you don't go, there's no need in us going. Lord, I don't need Canaan. But I do need you. And I need you to show me your glory. I need the hope that you can give. I want to be excited about standing on tiptoe to see home. I want to see it from where I'm at. I want to understand the hope and how the hope of glory infuses into my life right now. You know how it does? Faith. Believing and then taking steps in that faith and doing what he's called every one of us to do. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Not because of any reason Except that he chose you and said, here's my love. He calls us to him today and every day. And I want you to know there is no means into this grace except through faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. That's all. No other way. No other way. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't trust Jesus, if you haven't trusted him, I want you to know you can call on him today. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the promises that you have made. And we know you have the character to see them through. And we know that every promise that is in you, you will see through to completion. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us, Father, to live our lives in this hope that you have given us. And, Lord, let that hope be out in front of every sorrow and every tribulation and every trial, every failure, everything, Lord. And let us find our endurance in you. Father, let us find our testing being completed by you. Let us find that our hope, in fact, does increase because of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.